because in, in in the U.S. when you you know you're taught to to not get involved, right? In China, you, you just have these people who, who who have nowhere to turn, and they turn to you because you are their only contact. Welcome to CDT ChinaCast, the foreign correspondence series, a production of ChinaDigitalTimes.net that brings you inside the minds of the people writing the China story. I'm Josh Chin, and today's featured journalist is Cindy Sui, formerly a reporter for the Beijing Bureau of the Agency France Press. Sui recently moved to Taiwan after six years with AFP, during which time she became one of the top journalists covering the HIV-AIDS crisis in Henan province. I recently spoke with her on the phone about the Henan stories, as well as about what she did to get away from work while she was in Beijing, uh, which is apparently not as easy as it might sound. Um, so I guess we could just start off with um, why did you, what brought you to China? Oh, well, <laughs> hmm. I think it's partly because I was born in Guangdong, um, and I immigrated when I was eight and a half, uh, which was an age that was kind of, you know, too young for me to really know that much about China, but old enough to have memories. So it made me even more curious about China. So I think that's why I went back. So what did, when you, you know, now that you're, uh, you're, you're out of China and looking back on, on, on the time you spent there, what are, you know, what are some of the favorite stories you covered? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess one of the stories that I thought was really interesting was my interview with um, Hu Jintao's, I think it was, yeah, his aunt, the, the woman who who helped his grandmother raise him. Um, it was right ahead of the 16th Party Congress when he became uh, General Secretary of the Communist Party. So it was really interesting because the aunt was living in, in a very um, humble surrounding. And she was living on the second floor of a quite a quite run-down, sort of like half-built apartment building. I don't think there were any neighbors around. It was just a very strange building. It was like part of the stairs didn't have railing. And it, just, it wasn't complete. And I, I think she had a bathroom. But So I started asking her about Ho Jintao, and she said that um, like he hardly he hadn't visited in 10 years, and he used to send his kids to visit, but not anymore. And, but what really upset her was uh, when the Gongshang Yinhang Industry and Commercial Bank wanted to tear down their ancestral home. Um, she warned them that it was the home of the vice president and they, they shouldn't touch it. But then, so they went and asked him for permission. And he, he told them, just tear it down. It's not my home anymore. So that really pissed her off. Because, I, because, I bet. Yeah, that really pissed her off because, I mean, I, I, that was my first time in Jiangsu province. But I think they're probably very similar to Cantonese people or maybe lots of Chinese people. The ancestral home is sacred. You know, you don't tear that down. <laughs> um but, but he, he, he didn't care. I mean, again, it, it, the conclusion I drew from all these interviews, oh, and there was other interviews. I interviewed some of his former teachers, and they said, oh, yeah, his relatives were laid off, and they tried to get him to help them find jobs, and he refused. And so all these interviews seem to be showing, like, I mean, I, I, I got the sense that this is a guy who's very, very cautious. This is a guy who doesn't want to make any wrong moves. Yeah, so I mean that was kind of one of the interesting stories. The the others I I liked were um, the miners stories about the miners. There's something about seeing people working like that in those conditions, and you know when you go there and in, interview them and talk to them, you just know that they're every day when they go to work they know they're risking their lives, but they have to do this. And another story like that was uh, when I went to Jiangxi to interview people who made fireworks. And it was right after some, you know, several explosions at fireworks factories. I interviewed a woman who um, 
uh, was one of the victims. She, her her whole face was just burned. A lot of her body was burned too. She looked, you know, she looked deformed. And her husband was. I wanted to take a picture of her, and and you know, I mean, I was, you know, her her sister and her her relatives and I myself was trying to just overlook how she looked. She looked really bad, right? And we wanted to take a picture of her. And her son sat near her to to pose with her, but her husband refused to sit next to her. And then, but I remember when I was about to leave, you know, she she said, I re- "The reason why I'm allowing you to interview me is because I really want you to tell the central government that you can't shut down these factories. This is our livelihood, and you know, things like that." And so, even though she was burned like that, she still thinks this is so important to our community. You got to keep this going. Yeah. Well, that's inter- I mean, that's a that that brings up an interesting question, which is. As a foreign reporter in China, you can report on a lot more things than the domestic media can. Do you ever sort of feel like when you were, when you were reporting in China that you were also kind of reporting for a domestic purpose as well? I, I did, actually. Maybe when I first started, I didn't feel that way. But definitely in the last few years, I definitely felt like I was also reporting for China. One of my colleagues in the office, he he would you know, always bring me the Chinese versions of my stories when, whenever they're translated in Chinese Xiaoxi. And I always got a kick out of that. I always loved seeing my stories in Chinese being read by Chinese readers. I loved interaction. But that's not the only reason why I felt like I was writing for China. I always knew that even though our reports couldn't be widely read by Chinese people, that our reports definitely had an impact because um, not only because you know we know that central government officials and other ranking officials and civil servants do have access to our reports, but also because the more foreign media mo- focuses on an issue, the more attention it gets sometimes from the, the, the government. So, I mean, that's, I mean that, that might sort of go into this next question, which is, I mean, how is it, you know, how was China, reporting in China, different from, from, from reporting for the, for the Stockton record or, or in Hong Kong? You know, what, was, what, are some, what, what are the major differences, do you think? Um, well, one of the differences is that when you write about people who are suffering in mainland China, oftentimes there's no one you can refer them to. You know, in a Stockton record, I wrote, you know, I, one of my beats was minority affairs and social welfare. So I, I did a lot of stories about homeless people, low-income people, people on welfare, things like that. When I have to interview somebody, if I know that they really need help, I can easily find an NGO or some kind of, you know, government agency that can offer help to them. And oftentimes I don't even have to. They know where the soup kitchen is. But in China, what was difficult was that um, there's nothing you can refer people to. And I try, you know, I, I actually give, like, the health ministry officials even mobile numbers out to, to like, AIDS patients. I was like, you call them. Call them because they're, they're telling me that they don't have they don't have a serious problem down in Hunan. Why don't you call them and talk to them? Because in in, in the U.S., when you you know you're taught to to not get involved, right, with your story, with your, with your sources. In China, you, you just have these people who, who who have nowhere to turn, and they turn to you because you are their only contact with the outside world, outside the village. And because I'm ethnic Chinese, people kept calling and calling and calling me. Well, let's talk about the uh, AIDS stories, especially being ethnically Chinese and speaking speaking Mandarin so well, which is something that. What was it like? That is that a, is that a huge advantage, or there are disadvantages to being to being more Chinese? I guess. Um, I I think it's an advantage because 
like Chinese people, you know, a lot of people are still not so exposed to foreigners yet, so they they feel more comfortable sometimes with someone who looks just like them. And I think that's universal. But I don't know. But I think in some ways it could be a disadvantage because sometimes I, I, I would think that I understand something, but I don't look at it from the fresh eyes of like a total foreigner. You know what I mean? Like I don't analyze it as much as I think I should. And some issues, I, I just think, oh, you know, this, I understand this Chinese, this part of Chinese culture, this trait. I know why he's like that. Like if you talk about traveling to places where the officials don't want you to go, you know, and yeah, it helps to be Chinese, of course. You, know, you could kind of blend in more, but at the same time, like you're never going to blend in in a village. You know, I, I've I've walked into villages where, where people immediately spotted me, even though I have a scarf over my head or I, you know, whatever. So it's dangerous anyway. I mean, it's it's risky for anyone, no matter how they look. Okay, let's see. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. When you were in Beijing, what did you do when you weren't reporting? What was your uh, how did you relax? <laughs> oh, it was actually quite hard to relax. China is not a story you just report about in your office or you know during work hours. It's it's a story that 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 you live with. You know, the minute you walk out your door, even even before you walk out the door, the story is already in your apartment. You know, why why is the construction the way it is in your apartment? Why is the, the apartment compound managed the way it is? Who lives in your apartment compound? Why do I see like the Wujing? license plates in cars parked in our compound. So now that you're now that you've left uh Beijing and you're you're in Taiwan, what's it what's it like to go from chasing stories all the time in, in Beijing all the time to uh to domestic life in Taipei? Um I find it very frustrating to have no set agenda each day. I, I try to like make sure every day I'm doing something that has a, a greater meaning. But I think right now, to be honest, I think one of the first things is to to reflect on mainland China. It sounds really weird because it's like, oh, God, you know, haven't you had enough after seven years? But no, I haven't. Because after seven years, it makes me even more interested, more curious, and it makes me want to understand it more. The seven years is very busy. When you're working all the time, you can't always digest everything the way you want. So I'm not going to pressure myself to look for work right away. Will you go back, do you think, as a journalist? I mean, there's there's 2008 on the horizon. I, w- I would love to go back. I mean, I would love to continue reporting on China. This is something that I would never want to stop doing. Or even if I'm not reporting full-time, you know, I would like to freelance. And even if for some reason I'm not freelancing, I would like to um, do something like help. I think mainly charities. I want to work with charities. I want to roll up my sleeves, go to the villages, do something to help the people. And, and actually, some of it, some of the things I want to do is actually meet with government officials. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I'm very naive or idealistic, but I, I want to be able to, to sit down with them and talk to them about what are the things they can do to make things better for the people and, and also help themselves. It is not black and white. They can do both. Well, I think that that's a, that's a good note to end on. But thanks a lot for, uh, for this interview. And, uh, You've been listening to Cindy Sway. I'm Josh Chin, and this has been a CDT Podcast.